Amen. We come then to Hebrews chapter 8, and we want to begin with the first two verses of this chapter. We've already read about that earthly sanctuary, that earthly tabernacle that was made with the hands of men, and how it was full of wonderful types and pictures of the Savior, pictures of Him, the great work of redemption that he was going to do. But it was limited in what it could do. A high priest went in on the day of atonement with the blood of a blemish-free lamb. And he went into the Holy of Holies and he put it there on the mercy seat, offering up that blood as a sacrifice for his own sin and the sins of the people. And so it was limited in what it could do because the Lord Jesus Christ, he not only is our high priest, but he is also the offering. And he had no offering to make for his own sin. But he offered up himself for our sin. And so we come now to the principal thing. And if you read the chapters that have preceded uh, this chapter 8, there's a lot, of, a lot of wonderful, wonderful truths there. But look what we read here now in verse 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. Of all that's been said, this is the sum. This is the principal thing. Do not miss this thing. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. You know, in Psalm 103, verse 19, it says about the Lord, the Jehovah God of heaven, he has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Man didn't have a hand on this one. Now we come into chapter 9. Chapter 9, we read down, from verse 1 to 14. Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, a man-made sanctuary. And this, if you pay attention here, you'll find out this is emphasized over and over that it was not, this heavenly sanctuary was not made with hands. It wasn't man-made. For there was a tabernacle made, the first Wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary or the holy place where the priests went in. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, the holy of holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was placed, which had the golden censer. You see the golden censer the high priest on the Day of Atonement took the blood in the golden censer to put it on the mercy seat. And the Ark of the Covenant, or the Ark of the Testimony, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna. There were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. The golden pot that had manna, 
and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, the tables of the law, God's word. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but as I was preparing this message and reading this, and I was thinking back to being in the Timna Valley, being in that mock-up of the tabernacle, I realized and remembered there's no external source of light. There's no windows, no light in the Holy of Holies. The light that is there was the Shekinah glory of Almighty God as he came to dwell among his people above the cherubims over the mercy seat. As I read this verse, I was thinking of how those wings were stretched over the mercy seat. And the light of the glory of God created a shadow on the mercy seat. That was the source of the light. Verse 5, and over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat. If it wasn't for the light of the glory of God, there would be pitch darkness in the Holy of Holies. But it was illuminated with the light of the one who is light. And he created this shadow from the wings of the cherubims on the mercy seat. Of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle. The priests went in always into the first tabernacle, into the holy place, where the table of showbread, the altar of incense, where the menorah was. There were no seats. They never sat down. Their work was never finished. Accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone. Into the holy of holies went the high priest alone once every year. Not without blood. Which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks, diverse washings, Carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come an high priest of good things to come. Remember from chapter 8 here in verse 1, this is the sum. This is the principal thing. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne. He sat there. There's a seat. There was no seat. In the tabernacle made with hands, the work was never finished. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down. The work is finished. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once 
into the holy place. Having obtained eternal redemption for us, he has completed the work. It's finished. Nothing more to be done. A complete and full atonement has been made. He has entered into that heavenly sanctuary with his own blood, having obtained. Do you see that we are fighting in the victory that's already accomplished? We're not fighting for a victory. We're fighting in the victory. Every single soul for whom Christ died will come to him. And that should motivate us to get out into the highways and byways and preach the gospel with this complete assurance that his sheep for whom he died, they will hear his voice. We don't know who they are, but they will hear his voice and they will come to him. He has purchased eternal redemption for them, for us. For if the blood, verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself, This is what we were saying. Not only is he our high priest, he is the offering itself. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How sad today there are so much false religion, so many people flocking even to places of worship trying to work their way to heaven, trying to establish their own righteousness, having rejected the righteousness of God, as Romans tells us, that righteousness which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness that he established through keeping the law perfectly for us. You see, he is our ark of the covenant. God's law was kept Perfectly in the Ark of the Covenant. God's law was kept perfectly in Jesus Christ. Because it was just a figure of the true. It was just a picture of him. He is our mercy seat. It's in him that we're accepted before God. God dwells with us in Christ. Thanks be unto God who has blessed us in heavenly places. In Christ. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we have no acceptance before him. But thank God today, here we are with this glorious truth. It makes every Roman Catholic priest redundant. There's no more sacrifice to be made. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works, To serve the living God. I'd like you to come down now to verse 22. And we read on down to the end of this chapter. What a glorious chapter it is. Verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was necessary, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens 
should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. There's that emphasized again. Not a man-made tabernacle, not a man-made sanctuary. It was just a picture and figure of the true heavenly sanctuary. Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. When that high priest went in on the day of atonement with that blood and the golden censer for his own sin and for the sins of the people, he was entering into the holy place, into the very presence of God. And the people listened outside for those little bells ringing to make sure that God would not cut him down, that this sacrifice would have been accepted. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not entered into some man-made sanctuary, a holy place made with hands, which was just a picture and figure of the true sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, who died and shed his blood, rose again from the dead, rose for our justification, entered into the presence of God with his own blood as our great high priest to put away sin. now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once, if you get to that word once in the Greek, it, it, it really has this strong meaning, once and for all, never to be repeated finished. Nothing more to be done. Nothing more to be done. We're not trying to work our way to heaven. We're not trying to make ourselves good enough. All our righteousnesses are filthy rags. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Doesn't say there to bear the sins of everybody. He laid down his life for the sheep. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He said, all that the father giveth me will come to me. And him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. I pray that God will really bless his word. What a glorious, glorious passage of scripture this is. As we have said, the Lord Jesus Christ He's pictured there in so many ways in that tabernacle that was made as a figure of the true. We get so many wonderful pictures and types of the Savior. He's our high priest. He's our ark of the covenant. He's our mercy seat. He's our sin bearer. He's our redeemer. And as we have said, the most important 
piece of furniture in the Ark of the Covenant, or in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, because that's where God would dwell with his people, that I might dwell among them. And the cherubims were there with their wings over the mercy seat. And you know what I was thinking? The first time we ever read about the cherubims was there at the Garden of Eden. And they stood with a flaming sword. Adam and Eve had sinned against God. They'd broken God's law. They were now separated from God. And the cherubims were there to protect them from entering, prevent them from entering into the garden, from accessing the tree of life. And here they are now looking on the mercy seat, looking on the place where the blood is applied, that God would dwell with man again on the grounds of the shed blood. For without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. But what a wonderful picture we have here. And you know, as we think about the ark, and as I was preparing this message, I was thinking the ark, we read about three arks in the Bible. Noah's ark. And in each case, it carries with it the thought of preservation or the thought of salvation. In Noah's ark, it was the animals and eight souls that were preserved or saved from the wrath and judgment of God. Every other person on this planet perished in their sin. That should give you a good idea of how much God hates sin. God has not changed. He's angry with the wicked every day. The Ark of Bulrushes is another Ark that we read about. In it, Moses was preserved or saved. Again, from judgment, Pharaoh was murdering, killing every baby boy. And then the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testimony. And we've already alluded to what was preserved in it. God's covenant, God's law was kept in the Ark. And how it just pictures our Savior. The only person ever conceived without sin. Conceived of the Holy Ghost. You and I shaping in iniquity. And in sin did our mothers conceive us. Born in sin. The Lord Jesus, the only one ever born without sin. The only one who ever lived who kept the law perfectly. The one who ever, who ever loved the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind with all his strength, every second of every day. Every one of us stand condemned and guilty before God. But here we come to the one who kept the law. Just as the law was kept in the ark of the covenant, so God's law was kept perfectly in Jesus Christ. We have broke the law. Thank God for the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, the lamb that was to be slain was to be a perfect lamb. And our Savior is holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. He established a perfect righteousness that qualified him to lay down his life. And through the eternal spirit, he offered up himself to God in our place. Made an atonement for our sin. What else was kept inside the ark? You read about it there in the chapter that we've been reading together in Hebrews chapter 9. You can read all the things. We've just read it earlier in verse number 4. The pot of manna. In Exodus 16, 33, that was there where we were told, keep for your generations in the ark. 
They were to take some manna and a pot of gold and put it into the ark for every one of God's people down through the centuries. And what a picture that is again of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he is our living bread. Those of you who are born again and remain for communion services here to remember his death, you take the bread and the wine, the bread to remember his death. And the Lord Jesus says, I am that bread which came down from heaven. He is the living bread. You can read that. If you want to just turn quickly to John chapter 6. Turn over to John chapter 6. We'll read that verse together. In the ark was the manna, the pot of manna, preserved inside the ark. And the ark is a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ, covered with gold, the wood covered with gold, two natures in one person forever. John chapter 6, verse 51 You can see what he says there, the Lord Jesus speaking here in verse 48. I am that bread of life. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is that bread which came down from heaven. Where did he come? Where was he born? He was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. The one who is that bread which came down from heaven came to Bethlehem, the house of bread. And we live in him. It's all about him, as we said earlier. The other other item that was kept in the ark was Aaron's rod that budded. You read about that in Numbers 17, verse 10. Not only did it bud, but it actually bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. That was an amazing thing. A dead rod, a dried up dead rod. And the context, and it's good to get the context of why that happened in number 17. There was a rebellion that had taken place there among the children of Israel. And there were those, Korah and others, who rose up. And they said to Moses and Aaron, you take too much upon you seeing all the congregation are holy. And you know that rebellious spirit could even be in someone in this meeting today. A rebellious spirit thinking, I'm just as, I'm just as good and important and holy as the elders that have been ordained for the oversight of the congregation. And that would be a spirit of rebellion in your heart. That was the spirit of Korah rising up in rebellion. And God settled the argument By clearly identifying his anointed high priest. Bring your rods, every one of you. And Aaron's rod budded. And blossomed and bore almonds. And everybody was clear, that's God's man. And the earth swallowed those rebels alive in judgment. You know, God has identified his anointed saviour. That's what the word Messiah means. That's what the word Christ means. Messiah in the Old Testament, the anointed one. Christ in the New Testament, the anointed one. He is the anointed redeemer and saviour of sinners. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not the church of Rome. And God has clearly identified his anointed Savior through life from the dead. Just as that dead rod rod budded and bore almonds, there was life from a dead rod. Clearly identifying 
Aaron is God's anointed priest. So God the Father has clearly identified Jesus Christ as the only Savior from sin when he rose again from the dead. Our living Savior. These are wonderful, wonderful truths. All pointing to Jesus Christ. Those three items in the ark. All kept in the ark. And what a picture Jesus Christ is through the ark of the covenant and on which was the mercy seat. That place of propitiation. That's a big word. It simply means where the wrath of God burned itself out in satisfaction for our rebellion and our sin. Our sin cries out for us to be cast into hell. That's what justice demands. Justice demands that every sin receives the full weight and force of divine justice on that sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ went there in our place and propitiated the wrath of God. I was talking to a man yesterday. They were talking about fires and prairie fires and gorse fires and all this dry heat. And uh, it reminded me of a story I'd heard way out there in America years ago when the wagon trains were going out over the prairies and thousands of square miles and there was the dry tinder, dry grass and out the wind was blowing in their face and away in the distance they saw a wall of fire coming towards them. And they knew the fire was going to come and it was going to burn them and they would perish in the flames. And the leader went with his horse to the back and got some other men and some hundred meters behind, he lit a fire behind them And the wind took it away from behind them and burned all the grass and all that was behind them. And when it had burned out, they moved all the wagons onto the ground that already had burned. And when the wall of flames came, it just divided around them and they were saved from the flames. Because they were in the place, they were in the ground where the fire had already burned. And when you're in Christ, you're on redemption ground. You're in him Upon whom the fire of the wrath of God has already burned itself out. Oh, it consumed every single lamb on the altar in that Old Testament tabernacle. It could never take away sin. The fire consumed every one of them. But Jesus Christ consumed the fire for us. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. You're safe in him and you're safe nowhere else. We can do nothing. He's done everything for us. What a wonderful, wonderful picture we have in this passage of Scripture. Verse 11, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, not corrupted and polluted with man's hand. Everything we touch, we corrupt. We're full of wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. We've done nothing perfect in our life. You've never... Prayed a perfect prayer. We've never worshipped God perfectly. Apart from Christ, we're not accepted before God. This and this alone is our ground of acceptance. This and this alone is your ground of assurance today. This and this alone is the only reason you can pray to God. This and this alone is the only reason your prayer will be heard. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You seek to approach God in any other way and you will be cast out into the flames of hell forever. But Christ, this is the principal thing. 
all the things we have spoken, this is the sum, this is the principal thing. Don't miss this. He's the only Savior. By a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 14. And how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, a perfect, perfect blemish-free sacrifice, holy, harmless, and undefiled. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's finished the work that his father gave him to do. In verse 12 there, it's talking about him entering into the holy place. Verse 24 makes it very clear where that holy place is. You turn over to verse 24. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true. They were just a picture or a type or a figure of the true holy place. Christ didn't enter into the temple in Jerusalem. The veil was torn to say that that's all finished. No more need for any priest now to go in there. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has finished the work his father gave him to do. He rose again. He's entered into this heavenly sanctuary. Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. At the end of this message, I want us to sing hymn number 134. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest who ever lives to intercede for me, for his people. This is glorious truth. I, I trust this blesses your soul. If you're sitting in this meeting today and your mind is in something else and there's something else that you're thinking about to do with work or pleasure or sport or something else and that's more appealing to you, I fear for you. Does this not thrill your soul? Is this not glorious, glorious truth? Your only hope of heaven? The only reason you'll not be in hell? The only reason your prayers are ever heard is because Christ entered in to heaven itself and now to appear in the presence of God for us. Verse 28, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Are you looking for him? Do you ever think about him coming back? Does it, does it fill your heart with joy to think that he's coming again? It doesn't fill the ungodly with joy. It fills them with fear and dread. If you're not saved, it doesn't fill your heart with joy to think that the Lord Jesus is coming back. We read in the Bible when he comes back, those who are unsaved, those who are living in rebellion against him will call on the mountains and the rocks to fall on them and hide them from the face of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath is come. But for those who are saved, oh, they're looking for him. Looking for him. Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. His blood was shed for a particular people. And I want us to just think about that. For the elect, for the sheep. There's so much 
unscriptural teaching. God forbid it would creep into the free church. God forbid it would creep into children's meetings this week. And we would dilute the word of God. How dare anybody bring any other message than the true gospel? Except you repent, you perish. It's not about just saying some wee prayer and I just want to feel good and I would prefer not to go to hell and you know God has a good plan for me and I want everything to go well in my life. Well, who doesn't? The wickedest vile sinner in cold rain today has a good plan for his life and he'd probably prefer not to be burning in hell and he would rather go to heaven. And he loves himself so he's happy that God does too. But he doesn't want to repent of his sin. He doesn't want to surrender his life to Jesus Christ as Lord of his life. If any man love father or mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. Except a man take up his cross and follow me, can't be my disciple. That's not easy believism. When the crowd all walked away, he said to the disciples, will you go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Because they just came for the bread and the fish. They're not interested in dying to self and sin and crowning me Lord of their life. Oh, a whole lot of people will be sitting in churches and on that day they'll say, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, ye workers of iniquity. The word is anomos in Greek. It literally means they're saying no law for, for us. Workers of iniquity, no law for us. You're not going to rule over us. That same spirit of Pharaoh, who is the Lord that I should serve him? Oh, they're happy to sing a few hymns, happy to say the word Lord, but live for themselves. Never, never repented of their sin, never gave their lives to Jesus Christ. They weren't looking for his return. They weren't rejoicing in him. They weren't saying, oh, that my soul could love and serve him more. Didn't mean anything to them. Living for themselves. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world and laid down his life for the sheep. And his sheep will hear his voice. Praise the Lord. He made a full, complete, a once and for all atonement for every single sin of the elect. But only for them. Limited atonement is what we call that. Or I prefer particular redemption. Isaiah 53. Turn quickly to Isaiah 53, please. And you'll see this truth, which is emphasized in Scripture over and over. Isaiah 53 and verse 11 and verse 12. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You were in John chapter 6 just a few minutes ago. I'd like you to go back to John chapter 6. There's a very important verse that I want you to see. We were reading there in John chapter 6 about the Lord Jesus being like the manna, picture and type of him, the living bread which came down from heaven. But I want you to read verse 39. Again, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says in verse 38, For I came not, I came down, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. What's the Father's will? The Lord Jesus says, This is the will, this is the Father's will which sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Of all which he hath given me, I shall lose nothing. Now if he died for the sins of everyone, then none could be lost in hell, because Jesus says, I shall lose nothing. All the sheep, every one of the elect given to him by the Father, he made a complete and full atonement for them. He died for them, and not one of them will be lost. He shall lose nothing. He will complete the work his Father gave him to do. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the, the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Thank God, not one of them will be plucked out of his hand. Not one will be plucked out of his Father's hand. But by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us to put away sin as verse 26 says for his people the risen glorified Christ enters into the true heavenly sanctuary with his own precious blood shed for the remission of our sin on the heavenly mercy seat and God says when I see the blood I will pass over you there's a verse there that blesses my soul you know, it's not about us, it's not about our feelings, it's not how you feel tomorrow morning, it's all about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And God, who does not change, he says, I am the Lord, I change not. And therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Because he doesn't change, his love doesn't change, his purpose doesn't change. He laid down his life for the sheep. And he shall see his seed and be satisfied. He that has begun a good work in you will perform it. He'll complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because, in fact, this is the verse 4 of this hymn we're going to sing. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Brothers and sisters, this above all else, this alone is the basis of our assurance of salvation. Nothing else is the basis of your salvation. It's not because you attend the prayer meeting. It's good to attend the prayer meeting. It's not because you can quote verses of Scripture. It's good that you can quote verses of Scripture. Your only hope, your only righteousness, my only hope, my only righteousness is Jesus Christ. His blood, His sacrifice accepted by God the Father as our substitute. That's our only hope. That's our only assurance. Apart from this, we have no hope and no forgiveness. Not one of our prayers will ever be heard or answered. 
apart from the merit of Jesus Christ. Just as we close, turn back to Hebrews there. We've been in Hebrews chapter 9. We'll finish off with Hebrews chapter 10. This verse gets quoted often, and rightly so. Often it gets quoted in prayer meetings. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We have boldness now to enter into the holy of holies, to come to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy there at that throne of grace, all because of the blood of the Lord Jesus. Having therefore... I'm sure you've heard ministers say, when you read the word therefore, stop and ask yourself, what's it there for? Well, I'll tell you what it's there for. It's there for because of chapter 9. If it wasn't for chapter 9 that we've been reading and thinking about today, we could not do what it says in verse 10. It's because our great high priest entered into the heavenly sanctuary with his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Therefore, brethren, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in, enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast our profession the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. He's faithful. We're not faithful. He's faithful. I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Some of us, we're good at provoking others, but it's not to love and good works. Can I encourage you this week? To continue with this provoking, but not, but let it be to love and good works. <laughs> Imagine being accused of that. See that boy or that woman. They're always provoking people to love and good works. Have you ever heard that said about anybody? Anytime I ever hear about provoking, it's nothing to do with love and good works. The ministers and elders of the church would just love God's people to be guilty of this. Provoking one another to love and to good works. How the work of the Lord would advance if that was true in our lives. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. I'm glad we're met together today corporately to worship God in this house that was built for the worship of God. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. What's that day that it's talking about? That's Christ's return. Those of us who are looking for him Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So much the more meeting together corporately for worship. So much the more meeting together for prayer. So much the more meeting to remember his death in communion with him and one another as God's people. Not so much the less, but so much the more. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. I trust today this message has blessed your soul. I trust this truth has entered into your heart. I'm going to finish by giving you a little glimpse into heaven. And this is going to be the central theme. You're not going to want to be in heaven. If this hasn't blessed your soul today, you're not going to want to be in heaven. Because that's what we're going to be singing about. 
Because look at Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred, and tongue, and people, and nation, even people from Northern Ireland, even people from the Republic of Ireland, people from Kenya, people from Uganda. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, what did I hear them saying? Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's, let's close our meeting by singing that lovely hymn, number 134. We'll stand as we sing this hymn in closing. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. I hope that's true of you today. If you're not saved in this meeting today, Jesus Christ is your only hope. There's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. Left to yourself, you'll be in hell, and rightly so. Every one of us deserve hell in our sin. But Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Give your life to him. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's a wonderful thing to 